Thanks, team, for leading us. Uh, Pete, we, we don't thank you enough for leading us often, but Pete's leading with a broken toe. You should see him walking around. And he's standing on one foot doing this kick drum thing today. I was waiting for him to fall over at some point <laughs> during leading. So thank you for leading us. Um, So church family, today we are starting a new teaching series. This is a topical teaching series called Things That Are Hard to Do. And we've done this teaching series a number of times over the years. And it gives us an opportunity as a church to address maybe, you know, just a variety of different topics, some theological, some personal, some societal, just whatever is kind of at the forefront of uh, our, our minds and our church life as a community. And so here's a little bit of a snapshot of where we're going over the next uh, few weeks. We're going to do next week, we're going to tackle the subject of abuse when it happens in the church. And so just giving you kind of a warning, I'm not going to be graphic or gratuitous, but there will be conversation around uh, things that are just difficult and painful. And so I just want you to know that and be aware of that for next Sunday, as we'll be online only also. Then we're going to talk about on the personal level, it's hard to sometimes truly believe that you are loved. That's a very personal uh, pain. Then we'll look at the subject, the very difficult biblical subject of hell. It's hard to come to grips with hell, particularly in our culture, although maybe not as difficult as you might think. It's hard to, at times, interact with people of other faiths. And the feeling awkward. I actually had a conversation with someone recently who is of a different faith, not just kind of your generic non-believer sort of person in the, the nuns, as we say in, in kind of uh, modern parlance, but someone who actually believes differently than I do. And I can, I can feel that at times. And then it's hard to sometimes stop a habitual ongoing sin. But today we're going to start off with the subject of prayer and the acknowledgement that at times it's hard to pray. And so I want to pray right now and invite you to pray and to join with me in prayer as we launch into this absolutely important subject. Lord, I I pray right now that you would, again, stir all of our hearts, even though we are distant from each other, even though we're separated by distance and we're meeting through technology. Lord, I pray that your spirit would unite our hearts by faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for myself that you would guard my words and guide my speech, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would grow, not just in our knowledge of prayer, but in our actual practice of prayer as a result of these next few minutes that we have together. And we pray these things because Jesus made it possible for us to come directly to our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I have a handful of points I want to make about prayer, but the starting point is very simple. Prayer is vitally important. This is one of those kind of no-duh sort of moments, right, for us as believers. It is is as important to a believer as breathing is to just a human being. There's a quote from an old Puritan preacher, J.C. Ryle, that is one of my favorites. He says this. He says, Just as the first sign of the life of an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. Did you catch that? The first thing that a child needs to do when a newborn infant is born is they need to breathe. They need to squawk. They need to cry. 
So also, when we are born again into the family of God, we need to start praying. I've told this story before, but I've gotten to hear all of my daughters when they were born, all four of my daughters get to hear that first just ah, little squawky cry when they were born, except for my second daughter, Delaney, because, and I'll keep the story short, but when she was born, I saw a little bit too much of the C-section, meaning I saw any of the C-section, which was a little bit too much, and I passed out in the operating room. And here's the thing, when you pass out in the operating room, they don't let you back in. It's just kind of a weird controlling thing that they have going on there. And so I had to go sit in the other room, and I was like, is everything okay? Can I go back in? They're like, no, sit there, drink your juice. I felt like a child. They're like, here's your juice. Sip that and don't pass out again. But the point being is when you hear that child squawking, when you hear that child crying, you know that things are moving in the right direction. It's for us as believers in Jesus Christ, prayer is absolutely essential. In fact, I would go so far as to say is that it is impossible to be a Christian who doesn't pray. It's impossible. There is no such thing. We become believers. We become saved by uttering, even if it's the most simple and the most pathetic prayer, Lord Jesus, I've messed up. Would you save me? That is prayer. That is what God uses to bring us from a place of spiritual death into spiritual life. And I'll actually go so far as to say something that might sound controversial for even us as a Bible church. Prayer is more critically important than anything else in the life of the church. The Bible, the Bible's good. Love the Bible. I've committed my life to understanding, learning, and teaching the Bible. But illiterate people can know God truly through prayer. Is, is church and gathering for worship. I, I love gathered worship. I have loved gathered worship since I was a little kid. But people in solitary confinement can still have a right relationship with God through prayer. Serving is good. Taking care of people who are in need, serving the poor is good. But you know what? People who are uh, in, in their hospital beds or, or disabled and can't get out and serve people can have relationship with God through prayer. Preaching is good. Evangelizing is good. But people who are mute can have relationship with God through prayer, even in their minds. So point number one, I shouldn't have to make it. We all know it's true, but it's just, it's just state the obvious. Prayer is vitally important. Number two, Prayer is communication. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not overcomplicate it. The starting point is simply prayer is communicating with God. It's a very open, a very broad definition. And if you think of it just that simply, prayer is communicating. You think about how you communicate with your spouse. You think about how you communicate with your parents. You think about how you communicate with a friend or a coworker or a boss. God is, obviously he's God. He's the infinite almighty creator of all things, but he is a communicative God. We see that from the very first verses in the Bible when it says, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be uh, you know, sky above and seas below. God is a communicative God from the very beginning of the scriptures to the very end of the scriptures. He's made us in his image and likeness. And one of the things that that means is that we are able to commune with him, to communicate with him. So when you think the word prayer, just simply think communication. It shouldn't be that hard. It's super important. It's super simple. And yet, point number three, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. Prayer is challenging. Prayer is difficult. Why is that? Why is it so difficult 
for us to pray. Now, the good news is in this challenge that it's been a challenge for a long time. In our scripture reading today, in Romans chapter 8, we saw Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the apostle Paul writes, he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly encouraging that the Apostle Paul, I mean, we've just spent months looking at the life of Saul of Tarsus, known as the Apostle Paul also. And he, you know, we went from town to town and he would pray for people and they would get healed and he, he would pray for people and they would come back to life and he would pray and the Spirit would speak things directly to him and he would pray and the shipwreck happened, but nobody lost their life. I mean, he was a man of, of, of believe of powerful prayer and yet even he is saying we don't know what to pray for as we should we need help from the holy spirit it's a challenge to be as regular in prayer as consistent in prayer as maybe the feeling of connectedness in prayer as we want to be or even as we ought to be And I've identified, I think, six things that happen, six reasons why prayer is challenging, why we don't pray. There might be more. Maybe the Spirit will actually help you to know for yourself, but these are the ones that just in my life as a believer and in my time as a pastor, these are the ones that are the most common. And and actually, I put it out on social media earlier this week, and some people commented and shared some things about reasons why I don't pray. And I I think these ones are the big resonating ones. But the first and most important reason, I think, why we don't pray is what I'm going to call a gospel gap. A gospel gap. The, the, The idea here being that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus lived a perfect life, he died, he rose again. When he died, you guys might remember in the, in, the, in the passages of his death, it says that the curtain was torn in two. In the temple, there was a big heavy curtain that separated the, the, the most holy place that only the high priest could go there and only once a year and only after making certain sacrifices. And the imagery there is that when Jesus died, he made a way for all of us to come directly into the most holy place of God. That through Christ Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, we now can go to God. We get to go to God. We are invited to go to God. In fact, you know, in our passage in Romans 8 today, you know, just that that verse I just read about, we don't know how to pray and we need help from the Spirit, but it goes right into this very famous section that you might be more familiar with where the Apostle Paul says, we know that God works together in all things for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, that's to be changed and shaped into the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's this relational family language, that Jesus did what he did so that we might be invited into the family of God, brothers and sisters with Christ Jesus. And it says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And again, there's so much there. I mean, that's like eight sermons in and of itself, all by itself. But the point being that this incredible uh, uh, presentation of the gospel is linked right up to these verses about needing help with praying. 
Paul starts out by saying, you guys, if you're struggling to know what to pray, why don't you just take a moment and think about the fact that God knew you, that God loved you, that God chose you, that God saved you, that God desired you to be a part of his family, and he has made a way through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be in the family of God, having open, free communication with the God of the universe. My goodness, friends, let's never forget the gospel when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not some obligation. It's not something you have to do. We get to do it. Maybe the analogy of being a kid, well, my dad wants to hang out with me. But imagine if you had been estranged. Imagine if you had run away from home. Imagine if you, if you came to your senses later and then realized, oh, my dad actually loved me a lot and I haven't seen him in years. Imagine, I don't know, imagine that, let's say there was some virus going around that made it so that family members couldn't see each other for a long period of time and then they got to see each other for the first time. Imagine the joy you might have. Just anyway, really stretch your imagination, hypothetically. Prayer is not some, I have to go spend time with my father. It's, I was lost. And he came and he got me and he saved me and he redeemed me. Prayer, the, the, the gospel is the foundation for our prayer life. And I think one of the primary reasons why we struggle to pray is this gospel gap. A few more reasons, though. Number two, unconfessed sin. For us as Christians, one of the reasons why we don't want to pray is we are harboring sin. There's an example of this in 1 Peter chapter 3 where the apostle Peter says to husbands, do not be harsh towards your wives so that your prayers won't be hindered. It's a little pastoral tidbit, a very specific point of pastoral application. Husbands, be gracious and kind to your wives or God will not listen to your prayers. J.C. Ryle, who I mentioned earlier, he, he says, you know, that people fail in private long before they fail in public. In their, in their, they, they fail on their knees, they fail in their prayer life before they ever fail, you know, kind of a public moral failure. One of the reasons we don't go to the Lord is because we're holding on to unconfessed sin. We're holding on to the burden and the weight of our sinfulness. And so if you're looking at your prayer life and thinking, boy, why do I struggle to pray Maybe one of the first things to do is to take a moment and consider, have I, have I really been honest with the Lord about my sins? Number three, unaddressed shame. You read in the book of Genesis chapter three, when, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, they ate of the tree, they ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat from. It says that they went and they sowed fig leaves for themselves. They went and they hid. When the Lord God finally appears in the garden, they say, we hid from you because we were afraid. There's all of this shame that comes over us because we have sin, but also we're living in a broken and fallen world. Shame is this feeling that something is off, something is wrong, something is, is disconnected. And, and, and obviously there's uh, all sorts of unhealthy shame. 
you know, where people put extra shame on you, but there, there is a good place of shame. It's kind of like a, a good place for pain in the body that lets you know, hey, something's wrong and it needs to be addressed. There is a, a, a healthy place for shame where we can say, man, I, something is off. Somebody has done something to me. I have done something. There's something in my world that is just off and I need to address that shame because Christ Jesus, the Bible teaches us, bore our shame on the cross so that we might be shame-free in him. Being shame-free doesn't come from watching enough TED Talks. Being shame-free comes from knowing your identity in Christ and just how loved you are by God with your own sin, with the things that have been done against you sinfully. All of that in Christ Jesus, we have healing, we have washing, we have cleansing. And one of the reasons we might struggle to pray is when we go before the Lord on our knees in prayer, we are burdened by this shame. And Jesus wants to take that shame. Number four, three more reasons why. And and again, maybe there's more, but I'm, I'm just inviting you to see yourself in any of these. Busyness and distraction. Matthew 13, right? The parable of the seeds. And, and one of the things that happens is the, the farmer plants the seeds, but it says that the cares of this world, Jesus says, the cares of this world, the, the distractions of this world come up and we don't pray because we're just busy or we're distracted. I can't remember who it was that said it. Uh, uh, an old dead preacher person said, you know, we need to pray uh, unless we're really busy, then we actually need to pray like more, right? It, maybe that's Martin Luther. We need to pray every single day, except for when you're really busy, double it. Pray more when you're busy, right? But I know for me, this one's a big one in my own personal life. Busyness, distraction. I want to pray. I hear the dings of the phone. I hear the dings of the email. Uh, My own mind, just the way my brain works. It's like squirrel, ping pong ball, right? Just kind of that sort of a thing that I struggle with. And I I know that this one for me is, is the heart is there. I want to pray, but I give place to whether it's the cares of the world or just the distractions of the day. Honestly, even good things. Sometimes sermon prep, again, a good thing, something I love to do, something I do to serve the church family, something that encourages me, but busyness and distraction can enter in and we do not pray because of these reasons. Number five, good old-fashioned prideful self-reliance. Proverbs 3, 5, right? The, the classic verse, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. One of the reasons why some of us might fail to pray is we don't feel like we really need God. And particularly in our our part of the world, in the Pacific Northwest, we have a heightened sense of self-reliance. I mean, even just think about the people who ended up out here in our neck of the woods. If you're tuning in online from somewhere else in the world, think about this. Like, these are the people who actually made it to the end of the Oregon Trail. And I'm not talking about the video game that you played on those green computers, back, like Commodore 64 back in the late 80s. I'm talking like the actual Oregon Trail, right? Where like south of Portland where they landed and then they're like, no, let's keep going. Let's go up to Seattle where it's even colder and windier and there's more, you know, bears and things that want to eat us. Like that's, this is the kind of people that live in this area. So we have a very heightened sense of self-reliance. We have a very highly educated uh, area. We have a very highly intellectual area. We've got a lot of engineers. We've got a lot of uh, uh, tech people that are used to like figuring things out and solving problems. We have companies that started right here in the Seattle area that now are like putting, you know, people in outer space and rocket ships that can land themselves. Not even 
know what all else. It's insane, the stuff that's going on here. Can you see how it might be easy for us to slide into a place of self-reliance? Honestly, even for us as believers, there can be a time, I know I've wrestled with this myself, where it's like, I've read the Bible, got it, nailed it. I don't actually would never say that out loud. I did just say it out loud, but I would never say it out loud. Right? Like, I've read the Bible. I've been to Bible school. I've been to seminary. I know these things. I've taught on prayer before. I know it. And yet we, we can go into this place of self-reliance and forget I am every single day, every hour, every minute, completely and utterly reliant upon God. And then lastly, number six, just a lack of instruction. I like it in, in the Lord's Prayer as Luke writes it in Luke chapter 11. Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer is predicated by the disciples coming to him and saying, hey Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? John the, John the Baptist is teaching his disciples how to pray. Would you please teach us how to pray? I, I like that in the Bible, there are people like, hey, we need to learn how to pray. I like that the Apostle Paul is saying, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Some of you need just practical instruction. I want to take the, the, the rest of our time to give some practical instruction. But one quick encouragement, real quickly, before we go into practical instruction, just a quick encouragement. The Apostle Paul, again, writes to us in Romans 8. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But you know what? Even if you don't know how to pray, guess what? The Holy Spirit himself is interceding for us. He is praying for us with with inexpressible groanings. I, I like that. It's like sometimes people are like, I don't know the right words to pray. Well, apparently the Holy Spirit sometimes just prays with inexpressible groanings. Just, ah! That ought to free us up a little bit. It's not about the right words. It's about the right Heart, verse 27, he who searches the hearts, see, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's God the Father. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Very complicated grammatical sentence, but the whole point is this. God is on your side when it comes to prayer. There's no wrong method of prayer. Now, of course, we, we can pray wrongly, right? Uh, Jesus talks about people who show off with their prayers. That's, that's not good. Or James uh, talks about only praying for our selfish desires. Lord, bless me. I want a Lamborghini. Make me rich, whatever. Um, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he talks about just dead ritualistic prayers. Okay, so yes, we can pray wrongly, but I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, again, the practical, like I just don't know what to do or I'm struggling. There's not a wrong way to come to your heavenly father through the gospel of grace. Humbly, contrite, the Holy Spirit helping you, the Holy Spirit teaching you, the Holy Spirit praying for you, and God the Father himself agreeing with the Holy Spirit. So let me offer us some practical instruction. I want to offer you four things that have been helpful in my life and in the lives of some others who uh, I've talked with and shepherded over the years. Let me give you four things, four practical things to look at. Number one is this, the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, famous prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, et cetera, et cetera. People know this prayer. Even people who aren't followers of Jesus are oftentimes at least familiar with this prayer. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer, I am convinced that he was not teaching them a 
rote prayer to just pray. Now, I think it's great to memorize it. We should memorize it. And I've worked with all of my children over the years to memorize the Lord's Prayer, to be able to say it verbatim from memory. But even more than just reciting the prayer itself, I am convinced that Jesus was teaching us, his followers, a pattern to pray. Think about the different elements, right? Our Father in heaven. There's that relational language. There's that gospel language. Why do we get to call God our Father? Because of what Jesus did. So I say, our Father in heaven, thank you that you have saved me. Thank you that I can call you Father. Thank you that Jesus died and he rose again. Thank you that Jesus is, is seated at your right hand, right? Like, there's a whole lot of stuff to pray just in that line, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. That's all the praising of God. God, you are amazing. You're powerful. God, you're majestic. You know, uh, 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 all the different character attributes of God. We can just go on and on with praise and adoration, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In God's kingdom, there's no cancer. So God, I am praying for this person that I know who has cancer. Lord, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. Lord, in heaven, in your kingdom, there is no divorce. So I pray for so-and-so who's going through a difficult time in their marriage. Would you let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in your kingdom, there will be no more war. There will be no more racism. There will be no more injustice. Lord, I pray for these injustices. I pray against racism. I pray against brokenness. I pray against corruption. I pray for our political leaders that they would lead in line with the values of your kingdom. There's a whole lot to pray there. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And it just goes on. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for provision, the things that you need personally. How about forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? Repentance, forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray against the enemy. Pray against temptation, the areas that you struggle with. Pray against the the, the devastating and damaging effects that the enemy is wanting to work in your life, the lives of people you know, and our world at large. The Lord's Prayer... Again, it's not just a nice poem to recite, but it's a pattern to use as we go through these different, what is that, five, six different kind of elements of prayer. And if you're interested, I, I taught on this all the way clear back in 2015 uh, in a sermon series extended on this, on this idea, the, the sermon series Teach Us to Pray, where we went through each one of these elements each week if you want some more teaching on it. But the idea is not difficult to grasp. The idea is simply... Use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern to help teach you how to pray. Number two, a prayer journal. A prayer journal. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's all this language about, you know, the Lord uh, telling them the law, giving them his, his Torah, his instruction, And then saying, you need to like literally write this on the doorposts of your house. You need to engrave it. You need to put it on paper. You need to put it, like tie it to your forehead. You need to write things down. How many of you are similar to me where if you don't write it down, there's a high likelihood that you're going to forget it? So a prayer journal is just taking this principle and this application and it helps you. First of all, you can remember what to pray for. You can keep, an, I mean, for crying out loud, the technology we have, you can keep a note in your phone. You can, you can, uh, you can uh, keep, carry an actual paper journal if you want to write it down by hand. It will help you remember what to pray for, but also 
it will help you go back and remember what you have prayed for and what things the Lord has answered and you need to thank him for and give him praise for. I know that's something I need to grow in is to go back and remember Lord has, the Lord has answered all sorts of prayers. Here's a simple one that we do with our family whenever we go on a road trip. We always try to stop and, and just pray, Lord, keep us safe on the road. And I have, a, I have a very good track record of leading the family in prayer before road trips. And I have a very bad track record of remembering to thank the Lord when we arrive at our destination. Maybe a prayer journal would help. I don't know. But this is something that a lot of people, brothers and sisters, men and women in the, in the church, have found to be very helpful. Number three, pray the Psalms. You know, when it comes to prayer, wouldn't it be amazing if the Lord would just give us a book of prayers? That would just be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Lord gave us a book that had something like 150 prayers in it, wouldn't it be amazing if the Lord would make the largest book in the Bible a book just of nothing but prayers? I'm being sarcastic. That's what he actually did. Okay, so this is, this is what the Psalms are. They are prayers that we can use to help teach us how to pray. Think about something like Psalm 23. Again, a very familiar passage for many of us, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I I have what I need or I shall not want. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd. Thank you that you have taken care of me. And thank you that you provide for my needs. And Lord, here are some needs that we have as a family. And I just bring those to you. And I thank you for taking care of me. Thank, he, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And then you just pause. Lord, thank you that you're leading me. Thank you that you are, you're guiding me. Thank you that I don't have to figure out how to live life on my own, but that you're teaching me. And Lord, would you, would you shape me? Would you, would you shave off those rough edges? Would you, would you help me to, to walk along the right paths? Lord, I'm tempted in this way and in that way. And I just, I bring my heart before you in these temptations. Would you correct me and shape me and change me? Even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lord, I'm struggling with these fears. Lord, I'm really concerned about uh, uh, finances. Or I'm really concerned about COVID or I'm really concerned about uh, just the state of racial tensions in our nation or I'm really concerned about uh, X, Y, or Z sort of thing on the family level. Lord, would you, would you help me not to fear? Would you help me to have confidence in you? Would, you? would you remind me that even when we go through dark valleys, I'm not to fear because you're with me, Lord, comforting me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Lord, I, I pray for so-and-so that I had conflict with. I pray for this person that I haven't spoken with in a long time. And Lord, would you, would you help me to have a soft heart towards them? And would you help me to, to, to for, have forgiveness towards them? And, and, and Lord, would you, would you bring correction to them or humility to them? Whatever you want to do. You can pray for your enemies. Surely goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Lord, thank you that I have access to the house of the Lord. You see how I'm doing this? This is not, this is not rocket surgery. This is something that anyone can do, can take a psalm and you just walk through it line by line and you just read the, read the line and pray that line. 
On our website, I've actually linked to a book by uh, Donald Whitney. Was he one of your professors, John? You had him uh, in seminary? Well, we have a personal connection. I read the book. Pastor Kyle lent it to me, and I think I gave it back to you, Pastor Kyle. If not, text me, and I'll get it back to you. But just this short little book called Praying the Scriptures, and you can do it in the Psalms. You can do it in other passages as well, like in, in the epistles where Paul writes these prayers or in the Gospels where Jesus is praying. You can pray the Scriptures, but the Psalms are this treasure trove of prayers written down for us to shape our prayer life. And then lastly, number four, something to try. Silence and solitude and even the word meditation. So solitude, the idea in solitude is getting alone. This is where Jesus talks about going into your closet by yourself, like locking the door, shutting you know, that phrase, prayer closet. It's a very kind of churchy sounding term, but it, it comes from the teaching of Jesus. Go away from people. And silence, the idea of of turning off the noise. One of the interesting things about, about you, you can turn off the noise out there, but when you get alone and you get quiet, what you're going to find out is you got a lot of noise in here. Uh, I got, man, I got to hear an amen through the camera from somebody on this one, right? Like you try to get quiet. You try to get alone. Okay, I'm going to sit. I'm going to meditate on the Lord. I, I've done this before. I'll take a Psalm. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of clue in on just one attribute of God. God is the God of wisdom. God, you are wise. I thank you for your wisdom. I wonder who the Seahawks are going to get for their secondary because they got a really bad pass. No, no, no. Okay, Lord. Uh, uh, Lord, you are wise. You're the only wise king. Let me meditate on your wisdom. Let me think about your wisdom. Oh my gosh, did I remember to take the trash out last night? Uh, oh, no. Just anybody like that? Come on. Pete, I know you're like that. Okay. Pete's shaking his head no. He needs to confess his lies before the Lord. Huh? We, we struggle to turn off the noise. You can, you can turn off your phone. You can turn off the TV. You can put on quiet background music. But the real battle to be quiet before the Lord is our hearts and our minds. That's why in the Psalms, uh, David, I think, it's in, I think it's in Psalm 131. It's either 130 or 131 where he says, I've quieted and stilled my soul like a, a young nursing infant. Just that idea, like when a baby has, has nursed at its mother's breast and then has reached its full, just that kind of moment of peace. They're, they're satisfied, they're not squawking, they're not roaming around. There's this quietness and this peacefulness. It's hard work. But friends, I can say for me, over the course of this last year, this, this whole practice of getting alone and just being quiet and meditating, but like for me, this has been just life changing. And that, even the word meditation, I know um, for some in the you know, Bible-believing Christian world, the word meditation brings to mind uh, Eastern religion or pagan meditation. And, and, and we need not fear this word. This is a Christian practice that the enemy at times has taken and distorted. With Christian meditation, you know, it's not, the, it's not like pagan meditation. Pagan meditation is emptying yourself into nothingness, Christian meditation is being filled with the fullness of who God is and mulling over his truth, mulling over the principles that we get from the scripture, awareness of his presence. There have been times where just sitting quietly before the Lord, I just start crying. And I'm not somebody who cries often or all that easily, but there are times just in silent, quiet prayer where I'm just aware that God is there. God is with me. There's no worship band. There's no, you know, big show or big spectacle. I'm just right there in the presence of the Lord, meeting with him, 
contemplating his attributes and meditating on what Christ has done for me. There's lots of other things. There's people, you know, the the Acts method, the soap method, the this, the that, the other thing. Listen, these are the ones I just wanted to put before you. There's all sorts of other methods, but these four, we could do a lot worse than just regularly trafficking in these four methods of prayer. And so I just want to call us to pray. I want to invite us. Let's get to praying. Starting point is for us, we need to diagnose the problem. Get alone before the Lord. Lord, why do I struggle to pray? Is it sin? Is it a gospel gap? Is there shame or fear? Is it just that I don't know? Let's take a little bit of time and diagnose the problem in your, in your groups, in your families, with your friends. Talk about it. What are the reasons that you struggle to pray? I, I listed six things. Maybe there's more, but let's spend some time getting to the root of the problem, being honest with God, ourself, and others. Number two, I invite you, let's just start somewhere, Okay. Again, don't overcomplicate it. Most every week we have um, a group that meets here at the church building on Monday nights. We're going to push pause in that for a little bit, obviously, with, with suspending services here. But there's a group that meets on Monday nights and they pray. And you don't have to be a superstar prayer. You don't even necessarily have to, to know what you're doing. But just show up and pray and, and learn from these brothers and sisters who, who, who want to pray. Start somewhere. Grab a prayer journal. Try something new. Number three, try something new. Some of you actually, I should say this. I should have said this at the very beginning. Some of you actually pray well. Some of you have a strong and robust prayer life. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have painted with such a broad brush that everyone struggles to pray. But guess what? Even if you are good at praying, you're not Jesus. You have room to grow. Amen. Maybe trying something new, uh, trying a different routine, shifting something so that you may engage with the Lord in a new sort of a way. And then number four, last one, we've got to make this regular. I was thinking about in, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, where it talks about how after he was barred from praying, it says he just did what he did every day. He would get up and he would pray three times a day. I mean, a lot of times in our idea of like freedom in Christ, which we do. We have freedom in Christ. But we throw out certain rhythms and certain routines that could actually help us to truly live out our freedom in Christ. Well, I'm free in Christ. I don't, have to, I don't have to put a calendar. I don't have to put something on the calendar. I don't have to put something in the, the clock. I don't have to, you know, that's, that's ritualistic. Well, it could be ritualistic, but you also could be robbing yourself of the experience of your freedom in Christ because you're just not engaging regularly with the Lord in prayer. Let's get to praying, church. In fact, it seems wrong to do a teaching like this and not actually spend a little bit of time praying. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come if they would. And I want to take a little bit of time right now in your homes, wherever you might be, tuning in. I want to pray through a psalm. I want to pray through Psalm 28. And we're just going to practice that one method right now. So what I'll do is I'll I'll read. I'll read a couple of verses. I'm going to pause. And, and, uh, you know, Pete will kind of keep playing so that, you know, you don't think that the the live stream froze up. But we're going to read a verse. We're going to just pause. And then I'm just going to pray a little bit. And, And on your own, in your families, in your homes, your roommates, your friends, whatever you're doing, I just invite you to pray. We're going to pray through Psalm 28. And so um, I'll read. And let's spend a few minutes doing this before we go to the Lord's table and, and Pastor John leads us in communion.
Psalm 28. Lord, I call to you, my rock, do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Lord, right now we all call out to you. God, for me, I confess sometimes it feels like you aren't listening and I have to plead for you to listen. So Lord, I ask that you would turn your ear to me, turn your ear to us, that you would hear our prayers. Because if you were to remain silent, we're as, good as, we're as good as those who've died. Verse three. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. Repay them according to what they have done. According to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve, Lord, because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and not rebuild them. Lord, we live in a land, we live in a world that is marked by evil. And Lord, it seems like the wicked, the evildoers are everywhere, speaking in friendly ways, but really having malice in their hearts. So Lord, we pray that there would be justice. We pray that there would be that reckoning. But Lord, we also pray that you would do that work, that we would not take vengeance into our own hands, but we would entrust you and we would follow you to bring about your justice and your mercy in the world in which we live. Verse six, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. 
Therefore, my heart celebrates. I give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people. Bless your possession. Shepherd them and carry them forever. Lord, we do bless you. We do give you praise because you've heard us. You are our strength. You're my strength, Lord, when I feel weak, when I feel frustrated. Lord, when I have to figure out how to take a church service online with short notice, you're my strength. Help me to trust in you, not myself. Lord, thank you that you are the strength of your people. Thank you that you are the salvation of your anointed. Thank you that Jesus is the anointed one, that he is our Messiah, the anointed one of God who came to save us, to bless us, to shepherd us, and to carry us forever. So may all of our trust be in Jesus now, we pray. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Wherever you are, let's all just say it together, amen. Friends, we're gonna go before the Lord at the table, remembering the work that he has done. I'm gonna invite Pastor John to come and lead us in communion. But let's, let's remain in this prayerful posture, even now as we go to the Lord's table. John, you wanna come lead us?